This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And thank you to our special sponsors, Iris Software, iris.co.uk. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, what I think people don't understand about Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD Phase 1 because they were the first software vendor to be listed as approved by the HMRC for MTD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where do they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole Making Tax Digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Hi everybody, Rob Brown here. Welcome to this big Monday episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast and a big welcome to our new listeners. We have 342 new listeners over the last seven days. You can track podcast stats like you can track almost anything. So it's great to have you on board. And this podcast is aimed at accounting practitioners, accountants in practice CPAs. You are working for firms or small practices and you are looking for growth. You're looking for ideas. You're looking for continued professional development. We have that on this podcast or continued professional education, CPE, CPD. We are accredited for that. Go to earmarkcpe.com and you will get details on how to get this on your mobile or cell phone. On Monday, we have a big bonus bumper episode. And what happens there is you get everything that happens on the show all in one episode. Then that's repeated throughout the week. So you get two interviews today. You get a here's what works section where Martin Bissett generally provides practical tips on what is going on in the accounting world, what really, really works. And you get a new section which updates on what's happening in the accounting and fintech world so you can stay abreast of developments and stay current. Coming up in this week's show, accounting practitioners joining accounting influencers. So what are we talking about there? That's where Martin gives you the news, the announcement that in our accounting influencers round table. So we have the podcast. We also have a round table. It's a mastermind group and a door opening club generally for people that sell to and through accountants to so the vendors, the fintech people, the gurus, coaches, consultants, trainers, advisors, suppliers, the ecosystem around the accounting profession, but also we're bringing in accounting practitioners there. It's generally seven-figure firms and above. If your firm is interested in opening up a better dialogue with the people that sell to and through you and advise you and help you and get all kinds of great door-opening opportunities, share market intelligence, have some brilliant discussions, then you can join some of the accounting practitioners that have joined our little mastermind group. I said little, but over a hundred now. It is invitation only. And we've got an update on that in our news section. Then we have an interview with Glenn Morgan. He runs It's Settled and he's talking about credit control, credit management opportunities for accountants. Super smart guy. And he's got some great insights to share with you accounting practitioners. In our Here's What Works section, Martin's talking about turning intentions into actions. We've all got great ideas. We've all got great strategies. We've all got great plans. What is the missing element here? It's action, it's implementation, it's execution, particularly if you want to create new business opportunities. So we've got some tips for you there. And then we've got an interview with Hugh Walker. I interviewed Hugh from Practice Ignition and he's got some great thoughts on customer success. What does that look like in the accounting and fintech world? Customers, clients, users, subscribers, how do we look after them? How do we make them feel good? What is the difference between service and experience? And if you're still interested in the Accounting Influencer Podcast and you haven't had enough, you can tune into our bonus episode. We do these on a Saturday. They're not part of our regular show. We have a series going on, why didn't they buy? And this is looking at things from the prospect perspective on when you're selling your accounting services, you're trying to engage a new client, win some new work, and it doesn't happen. So we've got some real life 
experiences and we're looking at how to handle objections on Saturday in our continued series. So that is what is coming up in this week's show. If you're an accounting practitioner, you're in for a great ride. If you are in the accounting and fintech world, the software vendors, the technical, technological people that sell to and through accountants, this is a great listen for you as well because it lets you into the world of the accountant in practice so you can speak their language and understand their pain, their challenges and their opportunities. That is the welcome for this week's show. Let's get started. The Accounting Influencers Podcast. Cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights and wisdom. From the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world. The Accounting Influencers Podcast. It's time for this week's news and as always we lean into the legend and expert in the accounting profession and fintech industry that is Martin Bissett. And what news have you got for us this week, Martin? Well, my dear listeners and Rob, uh, you'll know that the news normally comes from the outside. What's going on in the profession at large? And last week we changed direction and looked at what's happening within our organisation because it's relevant to you guys. And guess what? You've got a few more weeks of this to deal with. We have another announcement for you. Uh, in last week's episode, we announced that this podcast is now CPE accredited via NASBA. So anywhere that, that um, takes NASBA accreditation. And they're all over the world, aren't they, Martin? Now? 14 or 15 different institutes, national institutes, support um, and accept NASBA qualified content. So on that basis, guys, you might be in Portugal listening to this. And it's still CPE for you guys. That's continued professional education. But this week's news is... This week's news is that we now have accounting practitioners joining us in accounting influencers. What the hell are you on about, Martin? I'll explain. So this is a podcast of our organization. Our organization also runs a roundtable. That is a virtual roundtable of accounting influencers. That's where you see most of our interview guests come from. They are coaches, consultants, practitioners. They are perhaps vendors or fintech experts or whatever they happen to be. But generally speaking, practitioners aren't a large part of our groups. Well, that's all changed. The community, the USP community, that's the Upward Spiral Professionals community, merged in with AI uh, in December of last year, meaning that accounting practitioners can now benefit from three different communities. Practice growth, which is the USP community, practice management, which is called Implementor Club, and the profession at large. That is the Accounting Influencers Roundtable or the Air Group. So if you've heard us talk about these things previously, I wonder what are you talking about? We're talking about roundtables where you get insight, where you get inspiration, where you get intelligence and where you get income from building strategic relationships, partnerships, and knowing what's going on, as well as contributing to influencing influencers. So now our listenership is whoa, well over 20,000 unique listeners who have downloaded the show over 100,000 times. And now we invite you to come and join us. If you would like to see what our Accounting Practitioners Roundtable is all about, we invite you to be our guest at our next session. And all we would ask you to do is go to accountinginfluencers.com. That's accountinginfluencers.com. And there you will see where to register your interest and we will get everything fixed up for you and get you in to see what it's all about. And Martin, this is exciting because there are platforms, groups, masterminds where accounting practitioners can gather and talk about things, but the AIR experience, Accounting Influencers Roundtable, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Uh, by different, we mean better, but yes, it is. You're absolutely right, it, it is. And we can explain it for quite some time on this, on this show, guys, in this segment, but you have to kind of see it to understand it. And certainly in the Practice Growth Group, just for a sort of a benchmark, uh, you're in the seven-figure firm uh, realm. That's generally the firms that are there. If you are not seven figures, if you are six figures, if you are five figures, or even thinking about one being one figure, you are still very, very welcome as we are building other communities as we speak. So we will have a fit for you, but we invite all accounting practitioners worldwide within the sound of this broadcast to come and find us at accountinginfluencers.com, register your interest, and we will invite you into our communities for the first time ever. That is really exciting news. And uh, obviously we are very partial to the Accounting Influencers Roundtable. It's been going three or four years. It's got an excellent reputation. We invite the best of the best. 
as Martin said, brilliant market intelligence there from the vendor side, the expert side, the gurus, coaches, consultants, trainers, as Martin hinted, but also the practitioner side. And it's important that those two parties have a good dialogue, isn't it, Martin? That needs to be healthy. Yeah, it is very much so. And for many practitioners, they don't even want that dialogue. They prefer to just talk to their own. And that's why we have a practice growth group and a practice management group as well, where only the practitioners live. Generally speaking, for most firms, it's somebody in the firm for each of the group, not generally the same person for all three. There's somebody who would benefit from a practice management community. There is somebody in your firm who would benefit from a practice growth community. That's probably you. And there's one that would benefit from having the insight from everybody who serves the accounting profession. And that might be you and that might be one of your partners. But either way, guys, we want you involved. And Martin, if people are listening, can they let their colleagues know about this? Can multiple people from the same accounting practice join? Very much so. We want the proactive, the hungry, and the caring. If you think your firm fits into that, then we would love to have you be a part of our communities. We'd love to have you as a guest. We'd love to see if you think it's uh, something that would be worth you progressing. And even if it's not, it's not going to harm you to come and take a look at what's going on. Yeah. And Martin, there is a cost down the line, but we're inviting them as a guest to start with, aren't we, to take a look? Absolutely. Just to take a look at it. And uh, there will be no heavy sell and no salesman will call. Well, we'd love to have you involved, you accounting practitioners. Come join us, accountinginfluencer.com. And that is the news for this week. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Really fly. The Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to our special guest interview here on the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I'm thrilled to have with me today, Mr. Glenn Morgan. Glenn, good day to you. Hello, how are you doing? Well, fantastic, Glenn. Super to have you with us. For people that haven't come across you, tell us briefly what you do. Right. I run two companies. One is called Credit, which is works quite heavily in the insolvency and invoice finance industries, recovering uh, book debts for distressed businesses, etc., and the other one is It's Settled, uh, and that is an automated credit control and cash flow management platform designed for SMEs, but also, you know, we get to them via uh, accountants, banks, invoice finance providers, funders, etc. Okay, so you can speak into the world of accountants. There's a lot going on at the moment. What kind of shape do you feel the accounting profession is in right now from your perspective? I think there's a lot of pressure because as the businesses are starting to feel the pressure, they look to their trusted advisors. Yeah, I'm sure that accountants are being asked to do lots of things that they haven't um, in the past, you know, going way beyond, you know, sort of compliance and, and the statutory stuff and actually being asked to be advisors. And as we all know, January usually ends up being a time where any business that's struggling in any way, shape or form makes the call to their accountant after worrying about it uh, after Christmas. So uh, I'm sure they're all really busy just to throw into the mix where they're all trying to meet tax deadlines as well. Speaking from the business side of things, Glenn, you deal a lot with these. What challenges do you feel the business fraternity are having right now are likely to face this year? I think um, 2022 is going to be very challenging for businesses. I think they've had two years of some struggling, some not, some thriving. But uh, all the while, the ones that were struggling were able to get some government money in and kick the can down the road, so to speak, so didn't have to worry too much about it. That money is drying up now, um, certainly in the UK, and um, the support is not there anymore. So yeah, I think they're, you know, I think they're in for um, for, a, for a challenging time. I think there's going to be an upsurge in insolvencies and, you know, a lot of turnaround restructuring and, and everything like that um, will be prevalent. All, all predictions lead to there being too much pressure on businesses at the moment and uh, something's got to give. And you bring up an interesting point in terms of cash flow, because a lot of loans that have been deferred will now be comparable uh, and tax bills that have been put off, a lot of furloughing and uh, grants taken out. That all gets kicked down the road, but it needs paying at some point. So what role do the accountants have in supporting businesses through these challenging times? Yeah, I think like I sort of referred to earlier, I think that um, additional support that they can give, you know, cash flow forecast, cash flow management, um, being aware of sort of tools and things that are out there that are going to be able to help businesses. And, you know, they, they're switched on to which ones are going to be useful for them. And them acting far more as advisors to, uh, to their clients than they probably have had to do in the past. I think that's going to be really key, hand-holding to a certain extent. And with the hand-holding, accountants have long since wanted to be that trusted advisor. 
whether they've stepped up into that role is perhaps a, a bone of contention. Do you feel accountants are equipped to handle the pressures that their business clients are under? Um, I think to a certain extent. I mean, obviously, if it gets too bad, then they start looking at restructuring insolvency practitioners and all that kind of thing. But as as far as a uh, you know a trading business that just needs some help, advice, and support, I think if the accountants have kept up to date with you know all the developments that have taken place the tools that are available um, and they've evolved their offering, then yeah, I think they are best placed. I think people still very much see their accountants as, as you know, their most trusted advisor. Um, I don't think that's going to go away. I think anyone you trust to deal with your financials, then you, you tend to trust them, you know, consistently and people don't, usually change accountants unless they've got a really good reason for it and that's that that trust has been lost i think that you know it's usually a long-term relationship in the way that uh, that quite a lot of other business relationships aren't so yeah i think not only are they best equipped to deal with it going forward but i think you know i think that's what businesses would want as their first port call they'll only they'll only look elsewhere if if their accountants aren't helping them and credit management that's very much been your world for a long time now just give us some insight into what's happening in that world for the accountants and the business owners listening glenn yeah, I mean, there's you know, big businesses have always had access to, and I know this because I used to go in at sort of director level to some of them. Uh, big businesses have always had access and resource to, you know, getting a really decent credit policy, credit checking their customers, and everything like that. In the SME space specifically, obviously, my knowledge is is of the UK. They don't have access to that. They quite often only worry about it a couple of years after they've set up. And again, they might go to their accountant and ask for it. And it's you know, it's a very different skill set. There's not a huge amount of accountants that are comfortable offering, you know, credit control and credit management as part of their part of their offering. Um, so yeah, I think they need to look for you know what else is out there and available to to supplement their services. But the world of credit management has got more difficult over the last couple of years. You know, the UK has got sort of 60, 70 billion overdue at any time owed to SMEs, and it could end up with some of them failing. So uh, it's really key now that as business does hopefully start to return to normal, that you know they're they're looking at the ways that they can improve that dramatically. And there's no reason to suggest that what's happening in the UK isn't happening all over the world in terms of debt and credit and money's being owed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, obviously we're very close to knowing the the sort of stimulus that the British government put in, but there were packages agreed by by most developed governments around the world in order to help. Don't even want to think about how much is owed and how much government debt has been built up during this time. But yeah, like you said, something's got to give and I think it will be survival of the fittest for the businesses that keep their cash flow management under control. And, and for that, they're going to need their accountants to make sure that the advice is appropriate for their circumstances. Do you discern any appreciable difference, Glenn, in what separates the good accountants from the great? Because some have fallen short in these challenging times, maybe not said the clients as well as they could have done, being as proactive as they should have that intelligence, that commercial expertise to deal with the complexity of things going on. Have you seen a big difference? Yeah, we've seen we've seen a number of accountants sort of adding to their portfolio of services, should we say, not 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 necessarily doing it all themselves. What are they adding? What kind of things do you see them adding? So there is there is credit management interest. Um, you know, we're definitely seeing that. I think you know we've discussed this before, but sort of eighty percent of accountants normally do the statutory, the compliance, you know, the tax returns, the keeping on top of things. I think more and more. Are looking at uh, at the other services, so the consultant side of things, the you know the virtual FD or actual you know FD of that business. You know, if you're a five million turnover business, you can't afford a finance director, so you've got an accountant though. So why wouldn't you ask them to you know to step in and act on that side of things? Some offer corporate finance. You know, there's 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 a lot of things that they're expanding into, and why not? They've won the client, they've got their trust much easier to upsell to the existing clients than it is to go out and win new ones because where are they coming from? Yes, that makes very good sense. Have you noticed how accounting firms have changed over recent years, perhaps in the way they're growing or winning work or standing out? Because it is competitive out there. We know new businesses are starting all the time. We know there's a lot of insolvency work about, as you've indicated. 
So this competition for this business, have they changed much? They're not generally known for being agile and adaptive, are they? No, I mean, I guess it depends if their model has worked for them. If they just want to do, like we said, the statutory and compliance stuff, and they've got a, a decent customer base and they haven't got any capacity and they've got no interest in recruiting more or anything like that, and they tick over well enough, then, you know, good luck to them. But I, yeah, we are seeing more and more. I think there are a lot adding other things because they can see what's coming. And, and I think the biggest thing is adopting automation, adopting digital solutions and trying to adopt things that are going to make their lives a lot easier and that of their clients. That's a very good point. Is, is there any aspect of the accounting tech do you feel hasn't evolved as quickly as it should have done? That's a really good question. Yeah, I think they the, the, the problem accountants probably face every day is that there are so many platforms, apps and things like that launching all the time. FinTech is a massive growth industry as is SaaS. It's overwhelm, isn't it? Yes, SaaS. Soft. So any accountant probably gets several requests every week. Look at this. This is the next best thing. Look at the next best thing. And, and I think part of their skill set at the moment needs to be looking at them and and finding out very quickly whether they're number one if they've got a USP number two if they're you know better than what's on the market at the moment and and really being able to cut through them all because otherwise they just get bombarded there's too many they haven't got enough time to be looking at all of them and deciding which ones are good and which ones aren't so I would advise them to look for existing client testimonials you know for these people who've used it and you know can see that side of things and actually other accountants that have used it I know sometimes it's a new product to market and there may not have been anybody who's used it so they might need to have a demo or anything like that but you know if they've got any kind of traction so far then uh, then that's fairly useful for them to find out what others think of it you pick up on a good point there the vendors have loud voices these days and often big budgets and they're very persuasive with accounting firms in pushing them to take on certain softwares and methodologies and managing partners and even CTOs chief technical officers they're not always in the best place to make good strategic decisions on technology any advice there yeah I think it's about adding something new to what you've got so yeah I mean without without mentioning names we've got a, a particular uh, software that claims to do what we do but doesn't and in reality it doesn't actually do anything more than your zeros or your QuickBooks or your Sage or whatever does does for you anyway. Thousands of accountants in the UK have been on, put on their sort of training, signed up to be a distributor of this thing, and then realised that you know there's been very little uptake because the actual end user has realised there's no difference. I've got this already, so why would I go for it? But the the sales team of that particular organisation has obviously done a fantastic job on these accountants, convincing them that it's something that they need, whilst promising them a, a, a commission. So. I think it's, yeah, they've got to cross-examine in a certain way to, to work out if that really is going to be something that's uh, that's useful for you. Because, you know, there are some fantastic platforms out there and I can, you know, name several, but uh, obviously we're not going to start advertising various ones here. They all know exactly how to speak to accountants. They've done their research and everything. I think that's key is just being, being prepared to cross-examine them and find out why they're different and why you as an accountant should actually bother using them at all. Let's talk about one you do have permission to speak on and that's it settled. Uh, <laughs> what's the proposition there for accountants? Yeah, so we're effectively, as I said, automated credit management and cash flow uh, management platform. It integrates to all of the major accounting software providers, pulls across the invoices, and then the uh, accountant or the user can pretty much forget about it. It's chased regularly through an automated process with follow-ups, got query management functionality. You can pause the process when there's a payment promise, et cetera. So our proposition, as opposed to anything else that's on the market, is they claim to have the automation, but in reality, the user has all the heavy work still to do. They have to choose what to do and when to do it. Ours takes that away for you. So it's using my 28 years credit management experience to codify a process that I know you know, has worked to collect in billions over the last sort of 10, 15 years. And anything that helps accountants save some time and doing the, the mundane automated stuff has got to work, hasn't it? It has. And we've also helped a few accountancy firms recently develop credit control as an offering to their client. They up their monthly retainer to the client. They offer to do credit control for them. And then they don't because we do. So they spend about 10, 15 minutes a day on it, just logging in, just to make sure everything's ticking over. But, you know, they're Upsell opportunities have been fairly significant um, on that. And, you know, once again, they're not losing the trust of the client. They're not losing the client in any way. They're not sending them off to somewhere else to deal with anything. So, you know, it keeps that relationship and, and actually enhances it. And this is going beyond what a general ledger company would do with the, the bookkeeping and 
cash flow and seen where a business is at any point in time and what it's owed and, and what it has in the bank? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it goes beyond that because you can look at you can look at the overdue position. You can see the types of queries that you get in it. it tells you how to resolve all the various queries, and it uses the mindset and the skill set of a credit department. So anyone receiving the the chasing from there will just think that either the company themselves or the accountant acting on their behalf has dedicated, qualified credit people dealing with it, which obviously is not the case if you've got a bookkeeper or anything, despite the fact that lots of bookkeepers use it because then they can bridge that gap. And once again, it looks like they know what they're doing. If an accountant listening is thinking, yeah, credit management, credit control is something I would like to add. It seems like a good fit for what we're doing. What does good credit control look like and what might be some first steps for them to take? Good credit control, very simple, is consistency. Consistency regarding the treatment of any customer. So you treat the good and the bad, whatever you perceive them as being, in exactly the same way, with exactly the same process at exactly the same time. Right from credit checking, you know, before dealing with them in the first place, being prepared to set, you know, a sensible credit limit for them and sticking to it all the way through to, you know, getting the invoicing correct, making sure it's got all of the various things that it needs on it to make it legally uh, compliant, resolving queries quickly, you know, don't give customers the excuse uh, not to pay because they'll take it and they'll nurture it and they'll wait. And then, yeah, a defined consistent process with set steps at set times that are followed every single time and each one escalating from the previous one. There's no point. One of the accounting software providers, for instance, um, offers a thing where you can send a reminder and it's exactly the same reminder each time. And it's just one line in an email and you know it's just terrible. And that's one of the biggest accounting software providers in the world has that as a tool on there that they've sort of bolted on and yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. But yeah, treating all customers the same, very important, being prepared to escalate and realizing if you do treat them all the same, you'll actually keep the relationship with them despite the fact you're chasing you for money, which people seem scared of. That's very diplomatic of you not to mention that particular company, Glenn. Uh, our commercial partners and sponsors might be pleased if it is them, we don't know. In terms of what What's coming up for the accounting profession over the next few years? Get your crystal ball out. I know it's dangerous to predict. We won't put money on it, but what do you feel is coming up over the next few years? As I said, I think there's the challenge. I think the way that accountants service their clients, the way they innovate will be very important. But yeah, I think as far as you know, the sort of crystal ball for the economy in general, I think it, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough tough few years, but with the right support that they and the right technology and the right partners and everything, then yeah, I think the accountancy profession is going to do perfectly well out of it. Are you seeing an increase in insolvency where you're looking businesses going out of business? There is. There definitely was. It's just been released the sort of Q4 figures in the UK for last year and there was an upsurge, but it's still the ones that you would expect. So construction and retail, hospitality being very heavily impacted. I think there'll be a much broader range happening this year. The support money's run out and now it needs to be repaid. So uh, that's a tricky time, not mentioning everything else that's going on. Sure. We could put a lot of that down to COVID. Is any of that down to poor credit control and management? Yeah, well, the, the late payment issue has, has increased. It was about 48, 50 billion pre-COVID. It's now monitored at being 61, 62, but that's, once again, that's six months out of date. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was up near the 70 mark now. So a lot of it is, is, is late payment. Government measures preventing action being taken to chase late payment. Businesses became aware of that. There was landlord forbearance. They weren't allowed to take action if they weren't paid for the properties that their tenants were in. You know, there's been a lot of things that prevented people from collecting from you know anyone and businesses have taken advantage of that. Sometimes whether they needed to or not, they've just done it because they could. You're a very passionate guy. You've been doing this a long time, but you continue to be invigorated by the challenges ahead. What excites you most for this year coming up? With everything that's happened in the last two years and, and with us launching just before that, obviously our traction didn't hit where it should be. But we know all of these things have kicked the can down the road. So there is going to be a lot of a lot of issues, late payment, you know, and all the other things we spoke about. So the thing that excites me is being able to help as many businesses as possible and help them maintain a positive cash flow and and, and hopefully beyond the next couple of years still be around and thriving and growing. And you know, nothing gives me greater pleasure than having a chat with a director after we've helped them for a period of time of a business who, uh, you know, was really struggling and they've got nothing but positive things to say. And, you know, that that makes you go to bed at night with a smile on your face. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to.
And do you tend to deal directly with the businesses or do you work through accountants to get to those businesses? Well, both. Yeah, we have a we have a direct acquisition strategy, but we, if I'm honest, we prefer going via accountants because if you've got the trust of the accountant that's dealing with them, they're then their trusted advisors of that business. So you've already got you know, one one step towards being able to help them. I think accountants are also very good at identifying within their portfolio the ones that are likely to, you know, to benefit most from it. So we like going down that route. Uh, to a lesser extent, banks, funders, et cetera, you know, they're not necessarily as trusted. You don't trust your bank maybe as much as you trust your accountant. But yeah, we like those routes to go in because I think it, it gives us a sort of softer landing to get in front of them. And what questions, a couple of questions, could an accountant ask of their client that would bring up a need for what you do or highlight a red flag, if you like, which would make them think, let's give Glenn Morgan a call? So the the things we normally say is a growing or large 90-day debt column. So something that's been outstanding for quite some time. And certainly if they're doing their cash flow forecasting and have a link to their accounting software and anything like that, then they'll have an understanding for that. Any that have had you know, a bad debt that they've had to write off, that they're worried about the impact of that on their business. Just any that are concerned about cash flow, maybe even applied for a loan and been rejected um, because quite often the amount that they've applied for is actually sat on their debtor book and they can get that sorted out and then they don't need the loan anyway. And you're in an unusual situation, Glenn, in that you run two companies. Tell us quickly about credit. So credit established in 2009. We're one of probably four or five of the sort of bigger collection agents in the UK that deals with turnaround distress restructuring in the invoice finance and insolvency sectors. So we do collect out when it's too late, but we also very much enjoy it and very much get involved in where somebody refers us into a business. And like I said, they've got a big 90-day column. Uh, they've got issues. They've not been you know, collecting it properly. It's either a resource issue or various sort of reasons why it's not gone, not gone well. So we go in there, support them, get it all back on track, and hopefully send them back into the sort of mainstream to continue. And we know that the UK is your heartland. Do you deal internationally with businesses and accountants? Yeah, so we collect from every country. I think we've, you know, nearly every country in the world we've collected from. Plans in the future, certainly, with it settled to go international. But at this stage with credit, the insolvency legislation and the, the way that we work has been confined to the UK. Could have maybe expanded till a couple of years ago when all of a sudden that didn't seem as uh, as attractive. And uh, if people want to have a conversation with you, Glenn, from wherever they are, what's a good way for them to reach you? However they like, yep. Yeah. So the web the website, email address, glennatitsettled.co.uk or glennatcredit dependent on your preference, .co.uk. But yeah, or my mobile number. I assume that'll be linked to that or I won't, I won't shout it out now. Sure, that's <laughs> fine. And just in closing, Glenn, what words of advice or encouragement would you give to the accounting practitioners listening to help them serve their clients better in the coming year? Stay close to them. I think as, as much as possible, you know, don't wait for it to be, you know, annual return time if you're only doing that side of things for them. But yeah, stay, stay close to them. I think that the better relationship they've got, the more that their clients feel they can approach them for anything then they're really you know proving their worth and ensuring their loyalty for years to come great words glenn morgan of credit and it's settled that's been terrific thanks so much for your time today thank you very much for having me thanks rob And in this week's Here's What Works section, we went planning to do a part two to what we did last week, Martin, but we talked last time about turning intentions into actions, how accounting practitioners have a lot of good ideas and strategies, but they don't normally get done. So we're going to expand on that a little bit because we had a few comments and uh, our audience are resonating with that sentiment. So how can we add to what we talked about last week? Yeah, it's like a pra- practitioner pandemic, isn't it? Because it is, it is widespread. It's global. This isn't, this isn't a small firm issue. This isn't a big firm issue. This isn't a UK issue. It's not a US issue. This is global. This is every size of firm in every territory. But the nature full of-, of wannabe action takers and people with big plans that are going to conquer the world, but they never do. Well, Will Farnell suggests that there is an accounting practice and an accounting business. I will take his definition and run with it. And I would suggest that an accounting practice essentially works for the government. They carry out compliance duties. They are driven by event-driven work. Come in in the morning, sit down at their, their desk, open up their emails, respond to client queries, and try and get some work done in the day. And that's it. It really is just a, a factory machine style operation. An accounting business doesn't work for the government. An accounting business works for the client. And as such, adds value. is a value creator. So has conversations, asks questions, wants to know motivations, 
wants to know why they set it up like that. Wants to know why that corporation tax bill was as high as it was. Surely we could have done something about that. Why did your last accountant tell you to do that when we should have done this? And, and it starts to open up all the ways in which an accounting firm can help. So the challenge that we usually find is that those who own accounting practices are no more than an employee working for themselves, as it were, and their team following their instructions. Therefore, there's not a lot of free time. Therefore, there's not a lot of innovation time. On this subject, we talked about David Meister, and we talked about his final book, Strategy and the Fat Smoker, meaning that the person who regards themselves as fat knows what they've got to do to lose weight, but doesn't do it. The smoker knows that it's bad for them, but doesn't quit. Because it's too hard to do. And I think now we are in an era where accounting businesses, commercial empires that work for the clients are becoming more and more prevalent. We're seeing them. We're seeing their marketing. They're being, they're being given venture capital money to play with. They're not just recording historical performance. So for anybody who is listening to this podcast, guys, it is now uh, for you to look at, okay, how do I break out of the cycle of work and how do I leverage the assets of my firm, as Ron Baker would call it, going from a professional services firm to a professional knowledge? It's a really good point. And accountants often say to us and to everyone that will listen, we're so busy. There's so much going on. We're taking lots of action. We're doing lots of things. But we're talking often here, Martin, about the discretionary stuff. What happens beyond the billable hour and the chargeable time? What happens in those little nooks and crannies of your day and the spare hours? where you should be doing the business development, the pipeline development, the relationship development, the proactive talks with clients. And in this regard, all of those actions that go under that banner, building your commercial awareness, doing some extra reading, learning a new skill, that stuff in action, not doing it, is the default setting because it's the easy option just to take some time off or think that the chargeable hour is that that's the worthwhile stuff, but it's risky not to do. There's a, there's a phrase from my youth, a busy fool, meaning that they were always doing something. They didn't have any capacity, but what were they actually achieving? You know, it was little more than firefighting. It was little more than making a, a lot out of a little, as it were. Now, for listeners of this podcast, we've talked to them about knowing what to do, but not doing it. We've, known, we've told them about having sacrosanct time in the calendar when they do what's known as deep work, which is a posh way of saying work. Okay, But if you are strategizing, if you are reaching out to a prospect, if you are making a connection with a bank or other professional partner, if you are thinking about what the firm should be perceived as on the website, if you are thinking about should we be going after a different style and class of clients? Should we be adding things to our, uh, our services and what we do? That's not a quick job. None of those that I've just listed is a quick job. Well, thinking is quick, Martin. If you're thinking about those things, that's fairly quick, but actually creating the plan and putting that into action. Exactly. And that time isn't available to the average practitioner who's too busy doing the work. So again, to use a 90s cliche, we, you know, county practitioners have got to work on the business, not in the business, you know, but they don't. Why don't they? Because the money comes in from doing compliance work. Why? Because the government mandates it. Why? Because the technology hasn't caught up yet and can't do it for you yet. We still need human intervention at this, at this stage of the, of the game. So there comes a time when tech will be able to do all of this and we won't need human intervention. And then what does the accountant sell? So in terms of here's what works for this one, is you taking your practices, whether you're in employment or in ownership, seriously. This is not a job you've got where you're happy to be working for yourself. This is your legacy. This is your pension. This is your exit. This is your now. This is what you'll be remembered as. This is what you'll be remembered for. This is how good a life you're going to have in terms of financial rewards. It's not something just to drift through. It's not something just to, I've dealt with my inbox and now it's clear. Well, that was a productive day. No, it wasn't a productive day when you don't even know what's in your inbox, you know, because you're, you're creating new value for clients. So what works? Setting aside time works. Resolving to create something in a timescale works. Having an accountability partner, someone who will kick your backside, someone you're scared of, not keeping a promise to, that works. And can we prove it? Yeah. We can show you now accounting brands. I'm not sure accounting brands existed all that long ago. Accounting brands now in the mid-tier 
of commercially minded people who've decided that there are so many opportunities to help a client where the tax conversation is the core or the compliance conversation is the core and then built an empire on the back of that. My question is, why aren't you? I'm reminded of the great quote on the definition of commitment. And we have all of these great ideas or priorities or things on our to-do list or goals. Commitment is doing what you say you will do when you say you will do it, whether you feel like it or not. And long after the emotion and the desire and the passion that accompanied that initial commitment has gone. So for example, Martin, I say to you, uh, Martin, do you want to come to my party on Saturday night? And in the moment you think, Rob, that's great. And you say to me, yeah, I'll definitely be there. So your desire to be there right now is high as the sky. But come Saturday evening and you've had a, a lazy Saturday daytime, you don't feel like going to the party. You don't feel like fulfilling that initial commitment. So you bail, you flake out, you give an excuse, you don't show up. We talked last time, didn't we, that taking action doesn't need to be a massive step. It doesn't need to be hard work. There are small steps or micro commitments that at least get something moving. Yeah, absolutely right. And so listeners, just so as you know, I would never attend a party. Uh, but Rob's, Rob's point is absolutely right. So let's give you a practical application, guys. We're keep, we keep uh, going coming to this podcast and preaching to you on what you should and shouldn't do. Well, let's put a spotlight on us. It, since the turn of the year, we're recording this uh, in the February of the year. Since the turn of the year, we have built three websites. Most practices take a year to build a website. We've built three in the first two months of the year. We have come up with three service lines that we didn't have at the start of this year. And so this, I'm referring to the accounting influencers business here. We deal with practitioners. We deal with vendors. We deal with fintechs. We deal with influencers, coaches and consultants and mentors. And it is our role, not just to be your podcast hosts, but to create value for our members as well, because we have members. So here we are recording a podcast for you. And we've got an email inbox to deal with as well. You should see Rob's inbox. It's mental. So we've got an inbox to deal with as well. We've got events to put on. We've got members to look after. We've got new value to create. So we're in the exact same boat as you. We've got to run a business. We've got to grow a business. We've got to create new value to keep people coming to that business. We've got to create new value in this podcast for you to keep coming to this. Well, we can do it. We're doing all right so far. So guys, why can't you? And please don't throw me the, I'm too busy, I'm maxed out. That simply means that you're selling yourself too cheaply for work that people esteem too lightly. A little bit of what we do, we can outsource Martin or delegate, but largely we're doing it ourselves. And the old adage is nobody can do your push-ups for you. If you want to run a 5K, nobody's going to put those miles into your legs for you. You've got to get on the road, get your sneakers on and get it done. So yes, you've got to make that decision, but beyond the decision, you've got to take some action on it. You can either be a wannabe action taker, always coming up with new ideas and great plans and making an Excel spreadsheet to describe all the steps, but nothing happens. Or you can be an action taker and keep moving those ideas forward. One micro commitment, one little step, one little action at a time. And before you know it, you will be a lot better next week than you are this week. And you'll have a lot more opportunities and choices next year than will you have this year. Any final thoughts, Martin, on turning intentions into action? Yeah. Here's what works, guys. Challenge for you. 20 minutes. Identify 20 minutes in your week. Doesn't have to be in the business hours, 20 minutes sometime in this week. Choose it. It can be any you want. With three o'clock Thursday morning, if you want it to be. And in that 20 minutes, you're going to action something that's been waiting for you to action, where you're the bottleneck, where you're the one holding it up, where you're the one prevaricating. Take 20 minutes where nothing else can touch you. You can't read a text or an email. You can't take a phone call or answer a knock at the door. 20 minutes to make something happen that wouldn't have happened normally in the week. See if you can do that. And if you can, then I've got a second challenge waiting. Cover that in another podcast. And my final uh, call to action for you, accounting practitioners and you fintech influencers that sell and serve and work through them, is to look at time blocking. Just Google that phrase, time blocking. Essentially, it's putting something in your calendar. So you're ruled not by your inbox, not even by your to-do list, but by your calendar. And if it's in the calendar, that becomes a committed appointment, even if it's just 20 minutes, as Martin says. And it's blocking out that time where you absolutely commit to that task. That will get things done for you. And that is what works. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom. 
from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to this week's guest interview on the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I'm thrilled to have with me today Hugh Walker from Practice Ignition. Hugh, good day to you. G'day Rob, how's it going? We're doing great. Hugh, you're not from this part of the world. Where's home for you originally? I, I guess I gave it away with the very start of my, you know, Talk on the pod. Yeah, so I'm like I'm actually English born, born near Reading, but grew up most of my life over in Sydney. You know where PI, I guess, was founded. I moved back over here. The the advantage of a global work, global roles that I can kind of do it from anywhere. So I moved over here November 2019 because I have just you know impeccable timing. Got here, had a beautiful grey English winter, and then along came this little cheeky virus, and spent about two years working out of my flat. And Hugh, for the benefit of people that haven't come across you, just tell us a bit about your background and your areas of expertise. Yeah, beautiful. So I actually started in this space coming up on eight years ago now, I think. I actually got my start at Receipt Bank, so Dex now, over in Sydney, and worked my way through. I think I had five different roles there in about three and a half, four years before jumping across to, to PI to sort of take over the, the customer success, I suppose, channel for us and sort of heading that up globally. So and I suppose really, yeah, the focus for me is, is customer success. And I think a lot of that is change management, but underlying everything, I, I'm a, tr- a genuine, like true believer in the, like, it, the ethos, if you will, that if we can make our customers more successful, if we can make the businesses, the small businesses that we're working with more successful as businesses, that's really my goal. Like I'm, I'm here to help our customers be more successful. I'm pretty bullish that PI is a, a big part of that, but that's kind of the core of, of what I do and why I do it. People talk about customer success a lot, customer experience, client experience. These are very much buzzwords. They fit a lot into values and websites and vision statements but it's fair to say a lot of fintechs and vendors and even accounting firms they play at it so just take that as a concept what do you see companies getting wrong with customer experience and customer success yeah i mean i think you're absolutely right a lot of customer success can just be a buzzword i'm going to sound possibly like a silicon valley reject here it does seem like it's a term that came out of Silicon Valley where they just kind of took the account manager role of, you know, like upsell to existing customers, grow use of existing customers, and then slapping on an, an element of what we would call internal, like uh, in tech, an NPS. So like a customer satisfaction. A net promoter score for those that don't know NPS, yeah. Exactly. So it's essentially so the sort of the buzzword side of it is very much just how do we upsell? How do we grow our customers, get more money out of them and also keep them happy? And that's, I think, why there can be that degree of like, it always seems like kind of a buzzword fad sort of thing, but there's definitely a sort of, I suppose, a subset of it where that belief, and I think this is much more of a, a startup tech side, whether the, the genuine belief is more if we make our customers successful, then inherently as successful businesses, they will grow. And inherently as successful businesses that are getting success as a result of our platform, they'll continue using the platform. And that's much more, I think, sustainable, much more organic and a much better experience for honestly both sides because the customer is obviously happy and successful and it's much more enjoyable to work with customers and actually grow them and help them succeed and seeing and sharing those wins with them. That makes good sense. And for people that are new to the customer journey, do you see it as customer service then customer experience then customer success is it a continuum or a line or a some kind of circle how do you view it as a model i think there's definitely phases of customer journey right obviously the customer journey has to start with them becoming a customer but then really customer success i think is more of a, a mindset like customer success done right I think is more of a mindset or an ethos around from the very start of that journey. The goal should be make empower the customer, make them successful. And that just bleeds into all the different kind of phases, into the onboarding, into the continual, like working with them in the first three weeks, three months, one year, and then onwards. And they are, they're obviously different phases where you might have different kind of goals, different out you're looking to help the customer achieve and work with them on but underlying that all should be is this in the best interest of the customer and how do i make them more successful and i'm hesitant there because i think it's an easy trap to fall in to say how do i make the customer happy but a happy customer isn't necessarily going to be a successful one because it's all like the easiest the line of least resistance the line of happiness is often just to continue doing things as you are because change can be scary and change can be hard but i think to be successful you've kind of got to make those jumps now and then yeah, that's a very good distinction. And you're presumably crunching a lot of data there at Practice Ignition. You know 
what the metrics are for customer success. You know all the touch points. What can you tell us about the, the data you're looking at? I have currently in my browser nine different tabs with Google Sheets open in with all the different sort of data stuff I'm working on. I'm you're just geeking out on that, Hugh, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I am probably the biggest spreadsheet nerd in PI, which is maybe saying something. But yeah, like there's so many different facets of it, right? You can, especially a lot of it comes down to so usage. So are they using the different elements of your product? A lot of it comes down to not just sort of are they, but how well are they doing it? How regularly are they doing it? A lot of different touch points. And I think it's one of those things where you never have a complete picture. You're just always iterating and improving. And it's something I've spoken about in the past in recordings and conversation calls around sort of processes at developing a, a better process. And it's always just kind of start broad. We're going to help them do here's the one main goal. And then once you've kind of nailed that, break it down and just keep breaking it down into smaller and smaller pieces, which just makes it more sophisticated and brings in more elements, which allows you to take in the edge cases and achieve that more overarching success piece. That makes sense. Let's just pan out for a moment and talk about COVID. It's obviously had an impact all over the world in the accounting profession and in the, the fintechs and software vendors that serve them. So what do you feel have been some of the major effects of COVID? Everybody now is probably pretty good with Zoom. I think there's there's always, like, as long as I've been in the space, so eight years, way longer than that, been this kind of conversation around the move to tech and the adoption of tech. And I mean, COVID has inherently accelerated that. This is the digitization movement, isn't it? Exactly, right? Stuff like client meetings, face-to-face, even, I suppose, from a more practice ignition-minded sort of perspective, signing a contract, signing an engagement letter, you're no longer going to print it out and deliver it to them. You're no longer, like, there's no, people might not be in the office and might have access to a printer to print out an emailed PDF to sign. So there's definitely been a growth in that sort of acceptance of the digitization there. Yeah, and the accounting processes have changed as a result, haven't they? Massively. You've, you've, you've got to, right? Especially working from home where you can't, where you might not have access to a server with a desktop product. The cloud is really showing its huge advantages. I am interested to see how it changes post-COVID or as COVID kind of, not necessarily saying there'll be post-COVID, but as, as we maybe it normalizes or it kind of dies down to a degree. I'm not going to name names. I was at a conference in, last year where there's a panel about sort of the future of working and working in a sort of post-COVID or living with COVID world. And the very first question the panelists, one of the audience asked was, I want my junior staff to get back into the office five days a week. How do I make that? And, but they don't want to do that. They want to work remotely. And they're leaving because I'm trying to force them into the office every day. How do I get them back into the office every day? And I thought that was quite indicative of a, of a certain mindset and interesting to see what sort of impact, uh, not necessarily impact, but like what, whether this maintains and whether this sustains this kind of working from home, working remotely, cloud uptake piece, or whether people do naturally kind of revert back. Because there's all there's massive benefits either way. And it's kind of finding that, I think, finding that kind of middle ground that works to enable us all to work most effectively and get the face time. There are so many arguments on each side of the remote working argument. And social health and mental well-being is on one side for sure and not having that commute but also the camaraderie of the office building culture there's a lot to consider isn't there yeah absolutely and i think it's going to be interesting to sort of see the different ways different companies approach it and what works and what doesn't i think i'm, I'm very happy with how pi is approaching it and i think we've gone for a sort of a model where people can kind of select which is going to work for them with certain guidelines and boundaries personally i'm going to be working out of the office probably two three days a week which is which is great allows the face time allows the kind of the meetings and the, the conversations, the camaraderie, but means there'll be a couple of days where I can just be at home on my computer and just smash some work out for a day. There's some talk about the vendor agenda. To what degree software fintech vendors are pushing their products and platforms onto accountants that are perhaps not as descending as they could be in making good decisions. But regardless of the technology, one of the biggest challenges for professional firms is implementation of software. How critical is that to what you're doing at Practignition? It's, 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 it's massive. If we look at sort of customer success, customer retention, all of that. The first, like the start of the journey is the most crucial part, right? It's when when people are most engaged and I think the biggest roadblock to change, the biggest roadblock to successfully implementing change isn't like typically a project doesn't come to a screaming halt and just collapse at a certain moment. The projects that fail, they typically fail because they just kind of run out of steam and just peter out. And you know, you forget a meeting, you forget two meetings, suddenly nothing's been done for a month or two. And it's like, well, I guess this project is now dead. That's typically how we see how projects and change 
management initiatives tend to, to die. And yeah, I think uh, momentum and engagement early on is, is absolutely critical. So with implementation execution using the software, you need champions, you need someone pushing the agenda, keeping the momentum going, keeping it front of mind, and obviously making the business case for busy accountants to get on with it and do it. Yeah, I think there's a number of different sort of key facets to effectively manage change. I mean, this is a conversation I'm having with like with, with my team, particularly around the world with you know, seasonality as it is for different markets kind of constantly. But I think one of the big things is that people are always waiting for the perfect time. There's always like, oh, if we don't do this now, it might be a better time in the future. There is, I, I mean, I've been through enough calendar years and financial years to see that there's never a perfect time. There's never going to be a moment where every the stars align. And if it is, it's probably going to be like, great, I can take a week off and go play golf or go sit in the sun somewhere. It's not going to be great. Now I can implement this piece of software, right? So I think it's understanding there's never going to be a perfect time is a crucial part of it. But then there's so many different elements, right? One of the big things we see often is a decision maker will be like, boom, we're going to implement this. This is now the new thing. And then just being like, all right, team, go, this is happening. Let's do it. But I, and I think there really needs to be more. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be critical to people, but I think a degree of leadership around like, hey, this is what we're doing. But then you need to give them the context. You can't just be like, this is happening. Take it and deal with it. It's this is happening. Here's why it's happening. Here's the problem we're looking to solve. Here's the, this is happening and here's the why, right? Yeah, here we've, here's why we've chosen this particular piece of software, for instance. Exactly. And and here's the benefits you're going to get out of it. You get them, the team needs to be bought in or it's going to crash and burn, right? And I think they need to be supported and empowered. You need to have someone, maybe it is a decision maker, maybe they get to delegate and some, you know, another member of the team gets an opportunity to kind of showcase a bit more of their, their talents, but they need to be supported and along the way. And I think they also need to be properly backed up, right? If you're going to delegate to somebody, you need to basically empower them to be like, go away and do this. If I need to be involved in decisions, let me know but also like hold me accountable. And if there's parts where I need to be part of these conversations, bring me in. Because too often we have these conversations where someone is like, oh, I was asked to implement this. I don't really know why. I don't really know what it is. And every time I need to make a decision, I need to go away and chase my manager for a week before I can make a decision. And you are invariably like, well, this is just going to be a, a struggle for everybody. And you talk to a lot of accountants here. I'm sure you're getting messages of overwhelm, anxiety, overload. You must try and help them wherever possible to automate their admin and, and focus on what really matters. Talk to about some of those conversations? Well, I mean, we're recording this very late January. So I think now is the peak time, right? For, for overloading a lot of oh, and, and seasonality in this industry particularly is brutal with sort of with all the various tax seasons for much financial year ends. But it is. How can I get time back? How can I automate some of the median, median what's the word? The menial tasks forgot the word there. So you must help them with that and have conversations around productivity. Hugely. And I mean, not a, like admin tasks tend to be great for automation, I think, because of kind of two big facets. One is typically admin, like any sort of admin task is something that's repeatable and it's typically going to be the same every time, right? It's going to be complete this form, create this client in this software, change this setting, add, like send an invoice, whatever it may be. So it's going to be fairly uniform and repeatable, which is always something that you can easily automate. And the other big thing is no one actually likes doing admin typically. Or it's not so it's not someone's gonna be like, oh great, I get to spend all day, you know, looking envelopes and typing out address, writing addresses on them or something. So it tends to be something that people aren't worried about, sad to automate. It's something that people are like, yes, I don't have to do this anymore. This can be taken care of automatically. And it's something that e and typically can easily be via some sort of automated process. And there's so many, like a lot of the different tools in the industry, practitioner being obviously one of them, but I'm not really here to sort of plug that too much, are there to automate different elements of this. And then there's other tools that can do heaps more. Rob, you may be aware of some listen to be aware of a tool called Zapier. Zapier is essentially like an admin automation tool that kind of automates all of the admin but sits between different products. So the super basic example might be when you get a new client to sign up and they sign up, you can use Zapier to, to trigger an email that goes out automatically to them with sort of like a welcome pack with any documentation you might want, any forms you need them to complete to get their information. And it's just, you know, that it might be a one, two, three minute email for a member of staff to send out, but it means that staff member has to be told to send it out, remember to send it out, take the time to send it out and just be like, oh, I guess I have to send that email now. And it, yeah, if it's, if it's a two, three minute task, it probably even becomes more than that with the difference of people being like, hey, I've just signed this client. Can you send this email? That person has to do it. Think about it, set, find the template, send it. But if you're doing that, let's generously say two minutes for one client and you've got hundred clients, that's 200 minutes saved. Like that's over three hours for, you know, that you can just have back. And when you save accountants time with your practitioner software, what, does they, what do they spend 
spend that time on, Hugh? What really matters? I, I would like to think, given how overworked so many of the, the firms that I work with are, I'd like to think at least some of them are using that time to maybe see the kids or have a beer or a glass of wine. Recharge the batteries, huh? Yeah, exactly. My suspicion is it's probably more along the lines of focusing on client work. It, if you're not going to do it for yourself, I would always encourage you to be trying to do more sort of as business growth, right? And and using that time, getting that time back to either find more ways to save even more time, to automate even more, or to be finding more ways to, to grow the business and, and make your business really successful. One of the problems that accountants always struggle with is pricing positioning, which leads to scope creep and getting paid on time every time. Any thoughts or tips on that, Hugh? Yeah, I mean... A lot of that, I think, is engagement letter focus. The scope has to be so clearly defined in your engagement letter that you could always, you want to have something you can always refer back to, right? And just be like, you asked, uh, we agreed you were going to pay us this much to do X, Y, and Z. You're now asking me to do W. It's clearly defined that we aren't going to do that. So I'm not going to do that, or I can do that for an additional fee and build, and, you know, we can then send you an upgrade dated proposal, updated letter of engagement to get that done. One of the pitfalls, I'm not sure when this is started, but one of the pitfalls I definitely run into is working with firms and they come to us and be like, oh, our letter engagement will say instead, oh, we these are the things we're not going to, then we'll define we won't do A, B, C for you. And and I think this is very much like a personality type thing, but I've worked with a couple of different firms, quite often sole traders who are kind of getting their feet and kind of learning and becoming more confident in their abilities and in, in what they do and don't offer. I just simply remember helping one, particularly back in Australia, and and she had a customer, uh, one of her clients who had her buying things for them on eBay and answering emails for them because in her letter of engagement, she had a list of all of the things she wouldn't do. And she had specifically stated, I will not do your eBay shopping for you and I will not reply to your emails. And they're like, well, can you do this for me? And she had looked back and be like, I guess I can. I guess I am going to do that for them then. So I think being very clear and essentially saying in your, in your terms, the only pieces of work I'm going to do for you are these ones explicitly stated. And then, you know, having that to refer back to and, and keeping that sort of front of mind. So then when those conversations come up and the scope creep comes up, you can refer back to it and have that conversation about, well, we didn't agree to that, but we can definitely do it for, you know, an, an additional X amount of money. And then I think the other kind of key piece with that scope creep doesn't off, always happen as a suddenly the client will be like, hey, can you also do this? It's just these kind of like, you find yourself over a year, over two, three years, gradually doing more and more for them because it's kind of comes naturally to you to do as well. And that's, I think, the other, the other side of things. And that's really just about like getting into a habit of probably every year, maybe every two years, reevaluating, reviewing all of your engagement letters, reviewing all of your client, client relationships. And what did we initially say we were going to do for them? And for how much? And are we still doing that? What else are we now currently doing for them? Do we need to update this beyond just the, the standard price increases every year or two that should happen as well? Yeah, this is excellent, Hugh. And let's ask briefly about practice ignition. If accounting practitioners listen, and that's the majority of our audience all over the world with our 20,000 listeners. If they're not sure what practice ignition is, how would you put it in a nutshell what you guys do? I would say practice ignition is a client engagement and commerce platform primarily focused on the sort of accounting bookkeeping space. It's really around helping them win more clients, provide a better upfront client experience, clear engagement letters, very defined services, templates to help them save a lot of time and automate a lot of the admin around creating that. And off the back of that, automating all of the pay piece. So the invoice creation, the payment collection, basically taking away all of the kind of the account receivable data days sort of piece. And how are you, how are you better and different from any of your competitors out there that are in this space? I, I'm not sure I really like sort of talking about a sort of a feature conversation with competitors because I don't want to negatively talk about anybody else or talk down about anyone else. I don't think there's anybody out there that does everything that practice ignition does. We do the full engagement letter piece, a lot of the sort of workflow deployment piece and also the payment collection all in one platform. And the benefit of that is? I mean, it's, it's all tied together. It means you don't have to update two systems. It means you don't have to pay for two systems. We have, I think 87% of our customers have been able to cancel other subscriptions as a result and cut down the number of different subscriptions they have and different tools they're using. But beyond that, if we come back to that scope creep piece, let's say you've engaged for a client for an engagement letter. And then, you know, a year later, two years later, you need to review. At that time, you then need to remember if you have separate systems for the different, for the bill, the engagement letter, for the management of the client, if those are all completely disparate, you have to remember to update all of those every time you're going through an 
updating the engagement letter rather than having that automatically done. And again, huge amount of time and effort and admin just saved automatically. Plus, obviously, the, the human error can slip through and you might have a client sign a new engagement letter and forget, you know, an admin person kind of forgets to add them and update their payment details and update the amount they're getting paid. We're collecting payments from them. People listening can go to the Practice Ignition website, take a look. If they want to have a conversation with you, Hugh, what's a good way for them to reach out to you? Me personally, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. LinkedIn, Hugh Walker. Twitter, I think it's Hugh underscore S underscore Walker because there's apparently a lot of Hugh Walkers out there. But I mean, any if you reach out through any of the sort of the Practice Ignition website, channels, social medias, we, you know, I'm, I'm always very happy to have conversations with customers. I do what I do generally because I love helping our customers and, and love having those kind of conversations with them. So very, very open to, to any of those conversations if you want to reach out. And uh, Practice Ignition have made this offer available to our listeners using the code AIR21 to receive a 25% off all plans for your first six months. You just need to go to info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for the Accounting Influencers Podcast. That's info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP. So that's a lovely offer. And we'll ask you one last question just to finish, you. Talk to us about the importance of first impressions. We know that accounting clients are switching firms, promises haven't been fulfilled, the customer experience hasn't been right, their accountants have not been proactive enough, or maybe haven't got the expertise to deal with the complex COVID world that we're in right now. So first impressions count. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest thing is there's a, like the industry is definitely getting more and more digital, more and more tech focused. And a lot of the sort of the clients in the other spaces out there are doing exactly the same, right? And looking to work with firms who give that impression and speak the language of technology, right? Our first impression, Rob, is basically having this kind of conversation, right? But when it's with a with a client, the first impression they're going to get of you and the first impression they're going to get of your business are typically two different things. Because if the first impression of your business and how you work is going to be more around how you like how you, almost the engagement process itself and i think there's a huge difference in hey here's a pdf i need you to run through print out sign scan it and pay, send it back to me versus and then we're going to send you an invoice versus hey here's a digital platform you can go into review everything in the one place digitally sign put in your credit card or your bank details to automate the payments and it's giving that client that prospective client it's giving them the right signals that you are using tech and you understand tech and you're talking their language and not only that it's if they're like a typical small business looking for an accountant is not going to just be like, hey, I'm going to talk to this one accountant and get a quote and see if I like it. They're going to talk to, you know, four, five, six different and compare. And if there's four or five out there that are sending over these PDF engagements, old slideshow proposals, and then you're sending this beautiful digital platform, it's got payments built in, which is something that they, these clients are already used to in everything they're doing in their day-to-days. It just really sets up an entirely separate first impression and differentiates you from the crowd, right? And that's how you grow your business. That's how you get successful is you, you are a step ahead and you're using tech in the right way to give you those advantages. There it is. You heard it there, you accounting practitioners. Hugh Walker, that's been terrific. Thanks so much for your time and your insights today. Absolute pleasure, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. So that's it for this week's show. You heard in here's what works, how we're adding accounting practitioners to our Accounting Influencer Roundtable. That is the Air Group. If you would like your firm to be part of those conversations, just drop us a line. You can find Rob Brown on LinkedIn. You can find Martin Bissett on LinkedIn. We can bring you into our Slack group and our monthly conversations, Zoom calls. The Wednesday session, you heard an interview with Glenn Morgan, accounting opportunities in credit control, credit management. Glenn is a super smart guy. He's from It's Settled and he's been in this business a long time. Then in Here's What Works, Martin gave you some tips on turning intentions into actions, getting all of those great ideas and plans off the paper and into words and into deeds, if you like. It's the execution, it's the implementation. And then we had a great interview with Hugh Walker of Practice Ignition about customer success, what that really looks like in the accounting and fintech world. Hope you've enjoyed this week's Monday episode. You can get any extra ones throughout the week. And on Sunday, you get a video trailer of what is coming up in the following week. Thanks for sharing the show. Thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for telling your professional colleagues all about it. If you'd love to leave us a review and you like it that much, we'd really, really appreciate that. We're starting to collect a few of those now. Enjoy your week, make a difference. Go out and do something amazing and serve those wonderful clients of yours. Have a great day. 